you got a Bible, open it up to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 11 today. Um, this is the second week of a series we started last week on the book of 2 Corinthians. It's going to take us really through kind of the end of June. So we're going to be in this for a little while. Uh, 2 Corinthians is actually uh, probably the fourth letter, at least that we know of, uh, that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. The Apostle Paul uh, started this church on one of his missionary journeys in Corinth in southern Greece. Uh, and since the time that he's started this church, they've had a bit of an up-and-down relationship, to say the least. Uh, and part of the tension came around how they viewed the Apostle Paul, uh, that a man of such supposed, in his estimation, spiritual stature, authority, someone who's supposed to be a pillar of the church, someone who's supposed to be an apostle of the risen Jesus Christ, seemed, to their eyes, uh, weak, unimpressive, unskilled, uh, and really kind of just pitiful. And they thought, this can't be right. Something's not working here. And it's this view that the Corinthians had of the Apostle Paul that he is going to address and respond to in this passage. So if you got your Bibles open, read with me 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 3. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance, the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you will also share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor God granted us in answer to the prayers of many. I want you to imagine, all right, a few weeks ago, the start of 2020, uh, a lot of us reflected on the last decade. I want you to imagine this is how the last decade of your life went, okay? You left everything you had. You left your career, you left your home, you leveraged everything you had to go out and follow your passion in life. I know some of us are excited already, some of us are a little terrified. In the process of doing that, leaving everything behind for this passion of yours, you lost money, 
Uh, you were kicked out, banned, from multiple cities. You were wrongfully imprisoned, during which time your friends abandoned you. Uh, your former colleagues and family members assaulted you five times over. Three times you were on a boat that sunk in the middle of the ocean, and an angry mob almost killed you with rocks. What a decade. Right? Who's excited for those Facebook memories to pop up on their feed? If that's me, right, any one of those, any one of those happens to me, and I'm going to ask, why me, God? Why has my life turned out this way? You know, suffering and affliction has a way of disorienting us, uh, of confusing things that before maybe seemed so sure to us. And yet, despite the fact that the Apostle Paul lived that entire list and more, when we read through the New Testament, you never hear Paul say, why me, God? Why has my life turned out this way? Now, is that because he's just got thicker skin than you and me? You know, Paul, he's just, he's just cut from a different cloth. Those were different days, right? He's got the temperament. He's got whatever Enneagram number you need to get shipwrecked three times and still stay positive. No, that's not the case at all. I mean, you read in verse 8, Paul says, no, we were under immense pressure beyond what I had the personal resources to deal with on my own, to the point that I despaired of my own life. The Apostle Paul carried deeply with him the emotional, spiritual weight of the suffering, the inflictions that he endured in his calling. But the difference was God had, had revealed to Paul the purpose of his suffering. And that changed everything for him. You know, suffering something to a certain degree, we all have in common here today. Uh, and it's something that every religion, every understanding of life is forced to try to explain. But it's something that every one of them stumbles over. Right? Whether that's traditional Eastern religions, American, moralistic religion, uh, enlightened, modern, secular thought, none of them can give you a purpose for the suffering that you experience that actually has in it the resources you need to walk through it and come out on the other side. None of them can give that to you. None except what Paul's talking about here in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, to be clear, uh, suffering is a very nuanced topic, very delicate topic, uh, and one that I'm not going to be able to address everything on it in 30 minutes' time. In part, because the suffering Paul is talking about here specifically is suffering that he endured in his role as an apostle, suffering and affliction that he endured for the cause of Christ. But uh, I think there's still plenty to see in this passage for anyone suffering here today, plenty to see about what made the difference for Paul and what can make the difference for you today. And in particular, I think there's three things we see in this passage, three purposes God has in the suffering and the comfort that he brings into our lives, all right? So God brings suffering and comfort into our lives to send us out, drive us down, and then lift us up. 
So first, God uses the suffering and the comfort that we experience in life to send us out. You know, the Apostle Paul experienced, in one sense, the depth of human suffering. Literally left on the side of the road for dead ones. The depth of human suffering and the heights of God's comfort. And it's that comfort that God won't let end in the Apostle Paul. But no, instead, he sends him out with that comfort to comfort people who are suffering like him. So Paul starts the passage off in verse 3 by praising the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, the source, you could say, of all mercy, of all comfort. And, you know, when we hear that word comfort, um, what probably comes to our mind is uh, the sympathy, um, kindness, tenderness that God shows to us when we're suffering. And in one sense, it is uh, no less than that, but it's much more than that, too. Um, Paul, when he calls God here in this passage the God of all comfort, he's actually reaching back into the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament and pulling out a promise that God's people had clung to in their time of past pain. Uh, The book of Isaiah, uh, you can break up into two big halves, and the second half is a lot of times called the book of comfort by scholars who just kind of study the book. And that's because littered throughout the second half of the book of Isaiah is God promising to his people that through his Messiah, he is going to bring this time of eternal deliverance, consolation, encouragement, lifting up comfort to his people who during that time are exiled, are servants of somebody else, are in pain, facing immense hostility. And it's this promised age of coming comfort to God's suffering people that Paul is saying has already started through Jesus Christ. That in his death and resurrection, Jesus, God's Messiah, began this promise, divine comfort to anyone suffering that will ultimately culminate at the end of time when Jesus Christ returns to wipe away every tear from your eye where there will be no more mourning, no more weeping, no more death, no more loss, no more depression, no more loneliness, no more disease forever. And so how do we get this comfort from God? It's free. And that's what the Apostle Paul says here. The way you experience this comfort from God, the source of this divine consolation, is His mercy, is His unconditional, unbridled, demands no resume love for all who are in Jesus Christ. And that's what he says in verse 4. We don't do anything to get this comfort. No, instead, we receive it from the God who loves to give it to his people when he sees them suffering and in pain. It's this comfort that the Apostle Paul experienced in his sufferings, this promised divine encouragement, consolation, deliverance, 
comfort of Jesus Christ to us in our suffering, and we don't have to wait for it. Paul's saying, through Christ, it's already begun, and it's only going to get better from here. And it's this comfort that God doesn't want to end with the Apostle Paul in his life. No, the reason God brought both the suffering and the comfort into Paul's life is so that Paul would be sent out with it then to go and comfort people who are suffering like him. This is what the Paul, uh, Paul says in verse 4. He says, Praise be to God who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. Paul is saying that God does not, will not allow his experiences of suffering and comfort to be kept to himself, but that he's put them in Paul's life for the very purpose of Paul comforting the Corinthians. And this is very ironic in the context of Paul's relationship with this church that he started in Corinth. Um, Corinth, at the time, ancient Corinth, first century, um, much like here in Winter Park and just kind of northern Orlando area, could easily be divided up into the haves and the have-nots. And the haves, the people who lived a more financial, socially comfortable life, uh, they liked their life of comfort and their life of ease. And so because of that, um, suffering didn't really fit anywhere in their understanding of the Christian life, didn't really fit anywhere in their understanding of God. And so because of that, when they saw Paul, this man who came in, was supposed to be their, their father in the faith, suffering, experiencing hardships, afflictions, they ridiculed him for it. They mocked him. They used it to doubt his call to ministry. They used it to try to oust him in his role. And Paul is saying to them here, don't you get it? The thing that you despise in me, the thing that you think makes me weak, that you ridicule and mock me for, the suffering and affliction that you watch me endure on a daily basis, that was put in my life for you. God made me suffer so that I could bring this message of his grace to you then and so that I could literally, as verse 6 says, energize in you now patient endurance of the same sufferings that you're suffering with me. Paul's saying, I suffered so that you could be comforted. Don't mock it, Corinthians. Embrace it and benefit from it. And yet the problem of the human heart is, it's not just the haves uh, in first century Corinth who have this maybe misguided view of suffering. It's you and me too, right? You know, Christian Smith, who's a, he's a sociologist, did a study on Christianity in America uh, back in the late 90s, and this is what he found. The dominant view of God 
as he described it, from what he found, was one part divine butler and one part cosmic therapist. That as, as he describes kind of the general understanding that people had of God, this is what people thought of him. He's here to make me happy, to make my life comfortable, and he's only going to get involved. He's only going to mingle in things in my life when I need him to kind of pick me up off the floor, dust me off, and get me back on my feet. And it sounds nice, right? Who wouldn't enjoy that to a certain extent? That line of thinking runs into one small problem. Jesus. I mean, how do we explain this? If anyone deserved a good life on earth, it was Jesus, right? Perfect son of God, never did anything morally wrong. Uh, If anyone deserved, seemingly deserved, a life of comfort, a life of ease, it's got to be him. If anyone's getting this good life, if anyone can get it, it's got to be Jesus. And yet the author of Hebrews tells us that he was made to suffer like us in every way possible. You know, when you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus weep 21 times for every one time that you see him laugh. If anyone seemingly deserved this good life. It had to be Jesus. And yet God in the flesh suffered profoundly, consistently. So surely if that's the case, then God can't be this divine butler, this cosmic therapist. And here's the thing. All right, I can stand up here, shoot some holes in it intellectually. The truth is, my heart wants that to be true far more often than I want to admit. I want a God who's here to make Eric happy, comfortable, easy, and because of that, suffering can never be something that he would purposely put in my life. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. And when it does come and I experience his comfort from it, I'm far too focused on myself than I'd like to admit I'm suffering, God comforts me, he brings healing in my life, and I'm just ready to move on. Great, thanks for helping me, God. And yet the suffering and the comfort that we receive in the gospel, it's never meant to terminate on us. Don't get me wrong, as painful, wrong, evil, evil the suffering that we experience is, it's not there by mistake. God has given you this experience of suffering and comfort so that you can go out and comfort other people with it, so that you can become a vessel of someone else receiving this long-promised comfort in the gospel. I mean, this is why Jesus said that it's more blessed to give than receive, because when you do, you join in the Father's joy, who thinks he's at his best when other people are sitting back and being overwhelmed by his long-promised comfort in Jesus Christ. So that's the first purpose that Paul shows us here. Uh, God uses suffering and comfort in our lives to send us out, to send us out with the comfort that we get in Christ to comfort people who are suffering like us. But the second purpose 
uh, that Paul shows us here is then God also uses suffering to now drive us down. Uh, so in verse 8, Paul gives us a kind of first-person uh, viewpoint here of how this worked in his own life. Uh, after talking about kind of suffering in a more general way, he gives us kind of a specific example. In verse 8, he says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced while we were in the province of Asia. Um, now, we can probably assume what Paul is talking about here from the book of Acts. Um, after spending about two to three years in Asia as a missionary in the city of Ephesus, um, a riot breaks out in that city because of what was Paul was preaching about the gospel. Uh, and the whole city gets stirred up into this. They literally lose their minds, all right? And it goes into this violent riot against Paul, the point that he has to escape the city and he can never show his face in there again. He's worried if he does, he's going to be killed. And it's this experience that as Paul describes it, he says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Paul's giving you, me, a window here into the emotional, spiritual weight that he carries because of his suffering. This is important. Paul's not minimizing his suffering, my suffering, your suffering at all. And he's also not saying some ridiculous thing like people say today that, well, if you just had better faith, you know, this wouldn't really bother you. No. Do, do you see what Paul says? Paul, who had seen the risen Lord Jesus, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Paul, Saint Paul, says, no, I carry deep wounds because of my suffering. This wasn't something that I just blew past. But there was a point to it. He says in verse 9, this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Paul is saying part of the purpose of the suffering and the comfort that God put in our lives was not just to send us out, but to drive us down and to deepen a dependency in us, in God. Um, when I was a senior in high school, uh, right before I graduated, I had surgery to remove a, a ruptured cyst that had formed on my lower back uh, and my tailbone area. And uh, when I got out of the surgery, uh, I had um, a large wound, all right? They basically just removed a huge chunk of my flesh uh, so that nothing would grow back. And so I came out of surgery, and I had just this open wound that was about five inches long, about an inch wide, and about an inch deep. Uh, and the doctor told me at the time, I know this looks bad. Don't worry, though. Usually six to eight weeks, and it's fully healed. Uh, and so I waited, and a month went by, and two months went by, and four months went by, and six months went by, and nine months went by, and ten months went by, and it still wasn't fully healed. I had tried numerous bandages, medicines. Uh, we tried cauterizing it shut about two dozen times. First time I did it, I almost passed out. 
Doctor gave me a stick of them, said, go back to college, come back to me when this is empty. I was a very immature Christian at the time. At this time, I was a freshman in college. Um, the, the church that I went to didn't really have a, uh, put it politely, didn't have a robust understanding of God's free grace. And so internally, this was the message that I told myself at that time. This suffering is here so that I would rise to the occasion. This is some sort of test that God's put in my life, and I don't know what it is, but there's some lesson, some thing that he wants me to get in it. And once I do, whatever that is, he will unlock his promised comfort and healing in my life. In other words, the message that I had believed, the lie that I had bought into was God's put this suffering in my life so that I will rise to the occasion from it. This is here as a chance for Eric to prove just how strong of a Christian I am. And that the Apostle Paul, if he could have walked in my college dorm room at that time, would have said, no! No, his suffering as an apostle for the cause of Christ, the Corinthians' suffering of social opposition and hostility for Christ, my suffering, your suffering, isn't there so that you would rise to the occasion, but to drive you down. It's here to free you from relying on yourself and instead rely on God, rely on the one who Paul calls, just before it is in this chapter, the Father of all mercies, who through Jesus Christ freely overwhelms you with his comfort when you're suffering. Paul's saying, this suffering is not in your life so that you would rise to the occasion, but so that it would drive you down to rely on grace and not yourself. You know, the, the, the common religious moralistic approach to suffering, if you just kind of turn on Christian TV on the high channels on our TV, um, is that that gets ingrained into our hearts is that this suffering is your fault. You did something wrong to cause this suffering in your life. And so if you want comfort, if you want consolation, if you want deliverance, if you want healing, you got to depend on yourself. It's on you. You got to depend on yourself. And that's the direct opposite way that God works. You know, when you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus break up humanity into two groups of people. And it's not the moral or the immoral, the religious or the irreligious, those who go to church and those who don't. No, it's the proudly self-sufficient and the spiritually humble. And it's the humble who get God's grace, who get God's comfort, who gets God's healing. And this is why the pastor, Jack Miller, years ago used to always say, grace flows downhill, not uphill. This suffering is in your life to drive you down, to depend on God's grace. Here's the thing. It's not just the moralistic approach to suffering that says that. Modern, secular thought says the same thing in a just different way. Um, here's, here's kind of the narrative uh, that just modern, enlightened thought says, okay? Life is all about your happiness, in getting it and whatever you can right here and now. Suffering, affliction, hardship, pain, that's an accident. It's a mistake, and when it happens, you have to figure out some way to manage it. 
And this is what Philip Reif, he, he was a philosopher last century, about 60 years ago, this is what he called the triumph of the therapeutic, that we took every adverse negative experience in life, and we called it a pathology, that now you have to manage through some sort of right technique. And now, don't get me wrong, there's absolutely um, biologically driven depression, anxiety. I believe the Bible says that absolutely. But it went way beyond that. The modern approach to suffering, to all suffering, is figure out a way to manage it. Find the right technique. Avoid negative thoughts. Take a vacation. Get the right guru that you need to follow. Find whatever technique you need to to lessen the pain. Just like the moralistic approach, just like the pop Christianity approach, it's telling you, if you want comfort, it's on you. Manage it. Figure it out. But wouldn't it be better if it wasn't all on your shoulders? Wouldn't it be better if you didn't just have to resign to managing the suffering in your life? So that's what the Apostle Paul's offering. He is saying there can be something so much greater in your suffering than merely having to manage it. And that happens, though, when you take that suffering and you don't use it as an opportunity to rise to the occasion or to manage what you're experiencing, but instead you let it drive you down and it depending deeper and deeper on the Father of all mercies, on the grace of God. And through it, when you do, he says, you will find a more stable hope than you ever could have dreamt of. Paul says that the immense affliction that he experienced as an apostle of Jesus Christ in Asia came so that he wouldn't rely on himself, but on God who raises the dead. He's delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul is saying, take your suffering and let it drive you down into relying not on yourself but on God's grace. And through that, you will find a more stable hope than you ever could have imagined. That as uh, out of control it sounds to give up the reins, it actually grounds you in a more firmer hope than you ever could have imagined through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who after living a life riddled with sorrow and suffering, rose to a body of immeasurable glory. And by faith, your promise is that you will be like him too. That it will finally, fully come to an end when Jesus returns and he makes you like him. So that brings us to the third purpose. God uses our suffering and comfort not just to send us out, not just to drive us down, but third, to then lift us up. You know, Paul in this passage is mirroring uh, to a much smaller degree the same purpose for Jesus' sufferings. You know, part of what Paul is telling the Corinthians here is that his suffering had a redemptive reason to it. Uh, God used 
his affliction as an apostle to bring the message of salvation to the Corinthians. And to a much greater degree, it's that same redemptive purpose that Jesus' sufferings had in our lives. See, if you're suffering here today, no, Jesus, uh, he did too. He experienced a life marked with affliction and pain. He was called a man acquainted with sorrows and grief. Jesus watched his best friend Lazarus die. Jesus wept over the entire city of Jerusalem. Jesus was rejected by the people he grew up with. Jesus was attacked repeatedly by religious leaders who were abusing their power. You know, one scholar uh, wrote last century an essay called The Emotional Life of Jesus, and he found that the most common phrase to describe Jesus' internal life in the Gospels was, he was moved with compassion. Why? Because Jesus experienced every bit of suffering the world has to offer and knows the pain of it as intimately as anyone possibly could. And yet none of that compares to what he ultimately suffered on the cross. In his crucifixion, Jesus, a victim of a miscarriage of justice, is beaten, stripped naked, abandoned by his friends and family, nailed to a giant wood block and hung up for everyone to see and mock. And it's in that moment that he experiences the greatest suffering that anybody ever could as he drinks the cup of God's wrath, as he suffers the punishment that we should have suffered instead. You see, this whole time in this passage, Paul has been talking about the comfort that we get from God as free. And this right here is how it can be free. You want to know why there's ultimately suffering in the world? It's sin. You see, before the fall, before sin entered into the world, there was no suffering. There was no affliction. There was no death. There was no disease. No, what happened was mankind sinned. And when that happened, it plunged us into a broken world marked with suffering and affliction that's only further perpetuated by our suffering today. On our own, none of us have it in ourselves to break the cycle of suffering. No, we can only be damned for our contributions to it. And yet on the cross, Jesus Christ moved with compassion. Not guilt, not regret, not frustration. Moved with compassion passion, suffered what we deserve to suffer. The only person who didn't deserve it, the only truly innocent victim who ever lived, suffered in our place the wrath of God we should have endured so that once and for all, finally, someone could break the cycle of suffering in our world. 
And now in love, the Father can unleash on you his long-promised comfort through the sufferings of Christ absolutely free. And when you see this, when you see the God of the universe nailed to a cross, suffering for you, it lifts you up in whatever you're experiencing today to receive the comfort of Christ. Yeah, Michael Green, who is a He's an Anglican minister in England uh, for many years. Lists off six ways that the cross of Christ lifts us up in whatever we're suffering. And I'll end with these. First, it shows us, the cross shows us that we can have companionship in our suffering. You know, God doesn't torment you and leave you all by yourself. No, he came and shared on the cross in what you're suffering God didn't stay immune to your suffering. On the cross, he entered into your pain. So that now there's no suffering you experience that God doesn't intimately know, no affliction you're enduring that God isn't enduring with you right now. Second, the cross shows us there's value in our suffering. Contrary to modern thought, the suffering you're experiencing right now isn't in vain. Even though you can't see it in the moment, There is fruit to your suffering, just as there was fruit to the sufferings of Christ, as it was only through the affliction of the cross that you and me can stand confidently right now in the free grace of God. Third, there's peace in your suffering. Jesus suffered death with a peace that allowed him to willingly give himself over to the plans of God. And it's that same peace of Jesus Christ that is now through his spirit with you in your suffering, allowing you to walk through it, trusting your Father who loves you so that now, even though you'll still wrestle with it, you can by faith say with the Apostle Paul later in 2 Corinthians, I am pressed but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair. Fourth, there's dignity in suffering. Jesus' greatest moment of royalty came in his greatest moment of vulnerability. You know, when you read through Matthew's gospel, he uses the crucifixion, the crucifixion as the moment to most underline Jesus' kingship over the entire world who found dignity in his suffering, not despite his suffering. Fifth, the cross shows us that there's healing possible in our suffering. On the cross, Jesus wasn't merely a passive victim He was actively doing something to end all suffering, to break the cycle of it through his suffering. And sixth, it shows us there will be an end. That as St. John tells us in Revelation, a day is coming when Jesus will wipe every tear from your eye where he will come to fulfill God's long-promised comfort and forgiveness where there will be no more mourning, no more weeping, no more death, and all of God's holy city. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have a plan in both the suffering and the comfort that you bring into our lives. Jesus, thank you that you suffer with us and that you bring your long-promised comfort 
Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take this message through the Apostle Paul's words and you would press it deep into our minds and hearts through this word and through this meal of Holy Communion that we're about to partake of. Amen.